Hello, this is Christopher from Defeat Modernism. And this October 13th, we commemorate the final apparition at Fatima, Portugal, of Our Lady of Fatima, and the miracle of the sun that was witnessed by 70,000 people, uh, including the anti-Catholic Masonic press, which if you're watching on video, you've seen some of the actual uh, clippings of the newspapers uh, discussing this miracle. Uh, I'm going to be presenting three different clips from three separate uh, episodes of what Catholics believe, uh, with Father Jenkins speaking on Our Lady of Fatima, the Third Secret, the events and current events. Um, and in between each clip, I'll provide some commentary after it, and then I'll introduce the next clip. So this first one is going to be from... May 8th, 2020, uh, you can see on the screen now uh, that particular video is up on YouTube, still up on YouTube on their channel. It's entitled Burying Fatima. I'll put a link to the entire episode in the description box of this video or podcast, wherever you're listening to this, if you want to watch the entire, uh, entire episode. But for this, I'm just going to cut out this, this first clip is about 14, 15 minutes in length. So let's go to that, and then uh, I'll be back after it. Father, uh, with everything going on in, in the world today, a lot of talk recently concerning um, our, our, ladies, our Lady of Fatima and her message mm -hmm. there, and in particular the, uh, the third secret that she gave to, to Lucia. And uh, th there's, there's been some, some talk. I've seen some uh, traditional-minded Catholics uh, speaking of, of this third secret and how they say that now would be a good time to to see the actual real contents of that secret. Um, there, there's been some talk of of the consecration to Russia that that Our Lady requested at, at Fatima, and whether or not that has actually, in fact, been done. Uh, if that could possibly be done now, if that would help resolve the crisis that we are currently in, uh, Father, what what are your thoughts on on all of this with the uh, Our Lady's message of Fatima? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, back about the year two thousand, there was. Uh, uh, a release of the third secret, uh, what was alleged to be the third secret, and then it was immediately disputed that it could not possibly be the third secret, or at least not the fullness of the third secret. And I think it's generally accepted, uh, well, certainly among traditional Catholics, that uh, what was released was not the third secret of Fatima, not, okay. it's, not in its entirety anyway, okay. and uh, which raises all kinds of questions as to why uh, part of the secret was withheld. Um, but uh, remember, back in 1960, the uh, well, by 1960, that third secret was supposed to have been revealed. In any case, uh, so a full generation before the year 2000, uh, the third secret was supposed to have been made known by. In that case, it would have been John the 23rd, right? And um, but John the 23rd was preparing to call his Second Vatican Council. And um, we can surmise that the true third secret of Fatima uh, was in direct opposition to the idea of calling the Second Vatican Council and all that the Second Vatican Council would stand for. And that John the Twenty-Third chose between the two of them and chose to bury the third secret and proceed with his plans for the uh, the Council of Vatican II. Um, but uh, also, with regard to the uh, 
By the way, with regard to the third secret, I think it's generally accepted that it had to do with what came upon the church. Mm -hmm. uh, the modernism, the invasion of modernism that was forecast already by St. Pius X in 1907 and in the years following, and uh, that the church would be laid waste, as St. Pius X said back then to one of the cardinals, laid waste by the modernists. Um, so uh, I think people generally have the idea that this is what the third secret really is, is about. With regard to the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, that's a very interesting question, and it still uh, is somewhat disputed among Catholic people. I'm talking about real traditional Catholic people. Because um, Our Lady said at Fatima, it's related by Lucia, that Our Lady said at Fatima that the Holy Father will consecrate Russia to my Immaculate Heart, but it will be late. Okay? And what Our Lady said to Lucy at Fatima, by all of Lucy's own accounts, mm -hmm. is that our Blessed Mother asked her to, uh, told her that the Holy Father must consecrate Russia to my Immaculate Heart. Okay? Now, it was only in 1929, uh, later, that uh, the directions uh, came from Lucia to Papias XI. Now is the time to consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart. You must consecrate Russia together with all of the bishops of the world. Okay, that was a condition to consecrate it in union with all the bishops of the world. Had not been mentioned before in any of the Fatima literature that I've ever seen. And so there was a condition that was added to the consecration uh, of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary that would be done not only by the pontiff, Pope Pius XI, uh, whom actually uh, the Blessed Mother had mentioned at Fatima in 1917, but did not mention the consecration being done with all the bishops of the world. And uh, if one were to ask you, well, uh, was, did a pope consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary? <clears throat> As Our Lady said, a pope would, but it would be late. And the answer to that question is absolutely yes, definitely yes, okay? In the Apostolic Letter of uh, July 7th, 1952, uh, Pope Pius XII specifically addressed all of the peoples of Russia, and he consecrated Russia and all of them to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in a very special act directed to Russia, he, and it's 1952. He right? did that explicitly by name? A absolutely. Uh, yes, he did. And it's in the Octopus Setis. It's an official publication, official act of the Holy See. Okay? <clears throat> but if one were to ask... Well, did any of the popes consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in union with all the bishops of the world? The answer is no, absolutely not. That was never done. Uh, now, one might ask, well, why did Our Lady add that condition? <coughs> That's a very good question. And, of course, there are all kinds of theories as to why Our Lady would say in 1917, at Fatima itself, <coughs> the Holy Fathers must consecrate Russia to my Immaculate Heart. And then in 1929, she would say, the Holy Father, together with all the bishops of the world, in union with all the bishops of the world, must consecrate Russia to my Immaculate Heart. <clears throat> Why would Our Lady add that condition? Well, we can only speculate. Our Lady didn't give an answer to that, wasn't asked that question, I, I assume. Uh, Lucia doesn't mention uh, asking the question, receiving an answer to it, but, <clears throat> but there are some intriguing, possible, even likely answers. One is, of course, the rise of Nazism, the rise of fascism, <clears throat> rise of atheistic communism, 
and um, all of these totalitarian um, tyrannies, right, were, were on the rise, these godless, uh, anti-God tyrannies. And uh, so including all the bishops in the world which show the unity of the church. Uh, but it is very possible also that it would have shown something else, something that would have been a, a real warning to the Catholic people. If Papa Pius XI did not heed that call to consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart and do so in union with all the bishops in the world, there was something that was preventing him from doing so. Uh, remember, Pope Pius XI was that valiant soul who, as an archbishop in Krakow, stood with the Poles against the invading Bolsheviks in 1920. <clears throat> and that took a great deal of courage. And uh, to lead the Eucharistic processions through the streets of Warsaw, day by day by day, uh, before the Bolshevik invasion, uh, that took an enormous amount of faith and uh, hope and charity to stand with those people. He was the only one who did. He was the only one who did. He had to ask special permission in order to be allowed to stay with the people. He was the Apostolic Nuncio to Poland at the, at the time. And he did not evacuate with the rest of the diplomats. So Papaisi XI was not a, um, a coward. Yeah. He was something of a man of action. Could he be deceived? Yes, he was deceived uh, by the Marxists in, in Mexico <clears throat> to convince the Cristeros to lay down their arms, uh, that the Calles and his gang of Marxist revolutionaries in Mexico really were honorable men who would keep their word. They didn't. They uh, executed the Cristeros when they tried to return to their homes. <clears throat> Pius Twelfth was advised to uh, tell the Cristeros to lay down their arms by Antonelli, his Secretary of State. And I understand, well, the, the story is that he wept openly when he discovered what had happened, that he was betrayed. So Pius XI could make uh, practical errors that were very costly, as he would be the first to admit, certainly. But he was not a coward. And if Our Lady had said, you must consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, in union with all the bishops of the world, I can't help but think that this same Pope, who later would write the encyclical Mit Brennender Sorge against the, uh, uh, the uh, Nazis, right? And David uh, Redemptoris uh, against the atheistic Bolsheviks in Russia, and do so, issue both encyclicals within a week's time, that this man was not a coward. Why did he not make this consecration? I can't help but think it's because there was too much opposition <laughs> among the bishops. And he couldn't rally them to do so, that there was opposition. Now that same opposition was to beset Pius Twelfth after him. <clears throat> uh, there was fierce opposition within the Vatican, <clears throat> resisting the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, especially including the bishops. And there were bishops who were the ones who were opposing it. You know what, you know, Tom, think about that for a minute. Okay, what would have happened if Papa Pius XI, if that was the, if that was the issue, okay? If Papa Pius XI was held back by a fear that calling for the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary be done very publicly and unanimously, him and all the bishops of the world, 
But he held off doing so because of the divisiveness in the bishops, the modernists. The modernists were already there, and they were already opposing this. What would that have shown? What would that have demonstrated? If Pope Pius XI had said, well, whoever the bishops are who will stand with me, fine. We're going to go ahead. You bishops, if you wanted to call them modernists, fine. Who will not stand with me and consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, fine. Let's every, let everyone see who's on what side here, okay? Let's show the world who's on the si what side. What do you think would have happened as a result of that? I don't know. It's interesting to think about it. If, if the very thing that held him back was the very reason that Our Lady wanted him to do it and insisted that it be done with all the bishops of the world to show, to show the modernists in the, in the hierarchy, to show the Catholic people especially, the division in the ranks of the bishops, that could have been a very, very powerful moment when the Catholic people back in 1930 <coughs> would have seen, my goodness, look what's happening here. Pope Pius the, X warned us about this, and now look, we have all of these enemy bishops here, the enemies of our Blessed Mother, who refuse to stand with the Holy Father and consecrate Russia to, her, to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. That would have been a very, very serious wake-up call for the Catholic people. And furthermore, for many of the, the faithful bishops back then, <clears throat> mm -hmm. to realize and to see the traitors, the Judases, in their, in their very ranks, the Episcopal ranks there. And maybe it, the, precisely the thing that Pope Pius, the, if it is in fact, the thing that Pope Pius XI was avoiding, making manifest that division, perhaps Our Lady was demanding that this be made known, that this be made manifest at that time. Can you imagine if that had happened that way? how that would have changed the course of history. I mean, not only in terms of um, stifling the growth of uh, national socialism in, in, uh, in, in Germany, uh, world socialism in Russia, fascism, basically another tyranny in, uh, in Italy, and spiritually strangling those, right, right in, the, in their infancy. But putting the Catholic people on warning here that there are many bishops who are enemies of Christ, and you need to be aware of that. But Pope Pius X warned you about in 1907 is in fact happening before your very eyes, and I will make it clear and I will show you exactly what's happening. How could a John XXIII have ever been possible? He was supposed to have revealed the third secret in 1960. If he had done so, Again, I mean, the course of the world's history would have been very different. Mm -hmm. Certainly the course of the church's history would have been very different, and therefore the course of the world's history also would have been affected. I don't know. I don't know if what it was that kept Pius XI from making that act of consecration with all the bishops in the world. It's all speculation. I don't know that anything has ever been written about it that is based upon evidence. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> or what I would consider evidence, a statement by Pope Pius XI explaining why it wasn't done, I, I don't know. But it wasn't done, it's a fact. And uh, I don't think it was because Pope Pius XI was intimidated into silence, except perhaps by the f fact that he feared 
that he was not able to, to get the bishops uh, united behind him in this, and he was afraid of making manifest uh, what he would consider very scandalous, mm -hmm. but which our Blessed Mother perhaps saw as something even worse than that. Mm -hmm. uh, a fifth column in the church uh, that was out to, well, as St. Pius X said, try to destroy the church. You know, that, that she wanted it at that moment made manifest and revealed to all. Father, but, but obviously our, our Blessed Mother knew what, what was going to happen. She Certainly. knew that, that, this, uh, that this consecration that she requested would not be done. She knew that the, the third secret would not be fully revealed. So why, why, would, why would she give us this, this secret uh, if it's going to remain a secret if we're not going to see it? Do you think at some point in the future we will somehow see the full text of the secret? Yes, in the course of time it will be made clear what took place. Okay. And there will be graces given then. Uh, there were graces, obviously, graces being given about Pius XI. Uh, Our Lady would not make, uh, convey from heaven a command like that without God providing the graces necessary to fulfill it. Mm -hmm. But uh, that doesn't take away our free will. And uh, in the course of time, all of this will be revealed. And those, from the vantage point of history then and the graces that God gives them, they will be better for it. They'll understand more perfectly. Um, and it, it will cause them to praise and love God and adore Him more, more heartily and love Him more. So ultimately, it's going to work out to uh, more souls being saved and uh, souls uh, loving God more than would have happened otherwise. God does not permit evils but for the fact that He, by grace, can produce greater goods. We know that. Mm -hmm. And do you anticipate this happening anytime soon? I mean, like, like I said, we're, we're certainly in, in the uh, rather serious crisis right now. That, that's, that's Depends on what you mean by soon. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I, don't, I anticipate it happening before the end of the world. <laughs> okay. I anticipate it happening when uh, God sees that his faithful need to know this. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that we need to know right now? Um, evidently not. Okay. Evidently not, because if we did, God would make it known mm -hmm. in his own inevitable way. Um, so right now, I think God just wants us to hold on and be faithful with what we do know. I mean, after all time, let's face it, you know, there are people who say, oh, if only this, if only that, I'd, I'd be so faithful. I, I would do God's will. If I only knew God's will, I would do it. And then you ask, well, wait a minute. We already know God's will in many, many ways, and we're not doing that. So, I mean, why do you say, if I only knew God's will, I would certainly do it when, you know, you still go to confession, you tick off all the things that you know are God's will that you're not doing, and things that are God's will that you uh, are against God's will that you are doing. So that's where we have to clean up our act, so to speak, and be faithful in the things that we, that we must be, notably, um, you know, the greater commandments that involve mortal sin. We have to start there and uh, go through the purgative way, right? And turn away from sin and live our lives in the state of sanctifying grace. That's, a, that's not only a good start, that's the only start for those who really want to do God's will. Mm -hmm. And there, there's, a, uh, there's a distinction between God's signified will and his, uh, his will of, of good, good pleasure where we have to you know, start with his, his signified will and do the things that he, 
um, has clearly, you know, explicitly laid out for us before we can uh, move on to... Well, the Ten Commandments uh, are a good place to start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Beatitudes are uh, a good place to start. Sure. Well, then we can expect that God will uh, show us what else he wants of us mm -hmm. in the more particular ways. Now, before we get to the next clip, Father Jenkins brought up an important point that many people are not aware of, and that was that Pope... Pius XII did make a formal consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, as he mentioned. Uh, on, what I have on the screen now is directly from the Vatican website. It's only in either Italian or Latin, so I have the Latin version on the screen. I'm not going to read the entire document, uh, but I'm going to read the translation into English of that first paragraph and then the specific paragraph that deals with the actual consecration itself. So you can see there, it says, uh, Carissimis Rossier Populis. So that is the, um, it's the Latin term for the beloved Russian people. But it goes on to say there, in, in that first paragraph, it says, Greetings and peace in the Lord to the beloved people of Russia. At the close of the sacred year, for a happy outcome, after us, not without the instinct of God, was allowed to solemnly declare and define that the loving mother of God, Mary, a virgin, has been assumed into heaven, body and soul. Uh, most people, or people from every part of the world, expressed their most ardent joy to us, among whom, indeed, there was no lack of uh, congratulatory letters to us, and at the same time, they strongly asked us to consecrate the whole Russian nation, placed in the present straits of things, to the Immaculate Heart of the same Virgin Mary. And now continuing to the, to the next to last paragraph of the document, uh, the pontiff says, In the meantime, that our prayers and supplications may be more easily heard, and that we may provide a special proof of our benevolence toward you. Just as a few years ago we consecrated the whole race of men to the Immaculate Heart of the Immaculate Virgin, so at present we dedicate and consecrate all the peoples of Russia to the same Immaculate Heart in a most special way. It would be completely hoping that we, uh, with you, wish you all the good wishes of true peace, fraternal concord, uh, due to all and above all the Church, um, with the most powerful supporting patronage of the Virgin Mary. Uh, may it be successfully carried out as soon as possible in such a way that together with us and all Christian nations who sympathize the salutary kingdom of Jesus Christ, which is the kingdom of truth and life, the kingdom of holiness and grace, the kingdom of justice, love, and peace. And that's a loose translation of that. That was the best translation that I could get um, of it. But you can see he did specifically name the people of Russia. And many people say it, it wasn't done here it is, it is a Vatican document, it was done. Now, obviously, it wasn't done with all the bishops of the world, but this is a true Catholic Pope, legitimately consecrated a bishop, uh, legitimately ordained a priest in the traditional rites. The new rites have all been changed after Vatican II, uh, so they're doubtful, and in, in most cases, invalid. Um, so... I, I personally hold the Novus Ordo Pontiffs in doubt, uh, both because of the fact they were modernists prior to uh, being ordained. They broke their oath of modernism 
so they committed perjury and I doubt that they had the faith even to begin with um, at all prior to ordination and then certainly those who were who were ordained in the new rite like Bergoglio uh, is at best doubtful so uh, but that's something for another video I want to just stick with with Fatima um, and so the consecration by a true pope was done uh, now we just wait, wait for the actual fulfillment in union with all the bishops, uh, whatever bishops might be left. Um, but it really appears to me that we're going into the next phase of the annihilation of nations. Um, but let's get now to the next clip of Father Jenkins. And this is coming from May, uh, March 4th, 2021. Uh, entitled Third Secret of Fatima, The General Judgment, and A Second Great Flood. Again, this will just be the clip on The Third Secret of Fatima. I will put a link to the entire episode for those who want to watch it in the description box in the video. Uh, and let's go to that, and then I'll be back afterwards. Back with you. We, uh, we've been making a lot of progress with the emails lately, so I'd like to try and continue that trend if we could, Father. And uh, the first email is in regards to the third secret of Fatima. <clears throat> it's from a very faithful viewer, a great friend of the program. And uh, he says, I believe that it is very possible that the third secret text that appears on the uh, Tradition in Action website is in fact the real third secret of Fatima. In this text, Our Lady says that Rome will be destroyed 69 weeks from the year 1959 specifically after Pius Twelfth and before 1960, which would be 1959. The 69 weeks is a reference to the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, in which the prophet is given a revelation <clears throat> that Christ would come in 60, 69 weeks uh, from the decree of the king to rebuild Jerusalem. I believe that Our Lady is in fact telling us that 69 years will elapse until the coming of the Antichrist, which would be in 2028 or 2029, Daniel's prophecy is notable because it was written in such a way that it can refer both to Christ and Antichrist. So, Father, would you please give your opinion on this matter of the 69 weeks? Well, it's rather esoteric, but uh, the weeks sometimes do refer to years in prophecies. There's no doubt about that. And uh, it's an interesting correlation because of a uh, statement made by a lady who was ahead of the British Theosophical Society. I've mentioned this before. You know, the Theosophical Societies of England were established by uh, Elena Petrovna Blavatsky, an occultist, uh, a Russian expatriate who moved to England back in the 1800s. And she was very deeply into the occult. Um, uh, long story. I mean, she basically invented what is the Ouija board today uh, as far as communicating with the dead and uh, automatic writing and was into all kinds of occultic practices. And um, she believed there were ascended masters in the Himalayas who were beaming thoughts throughout the world. And um, well, ba basically, the New World Order was part of her uh, part of her shtick, I'd say, also. Um, <clears throat> So, um, but she was, she was uh, succeeded by another occultist, of course, um, by the name of Annie Besant. And um, then uh, Annie Besant was succeeded by a woman named Alice Ann Bailey. And the reason I mentioned the Theosophical Societies is that uh, 
Monsignor Robert Hugh Benson, the great convert to the faith in England, who wrote the book The Lord of the World, and published it in 1907, the same year that uh, Pope St. Pius X's encyclical Pascendi against modernism came out. But uh, Monsignor Robert Hugh Benson, who had a bit of a prophetic uh, 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 ability himself, I believe, as you can, when you, when you read The Lord of the World, you can see that, um, said that he believed the Antichrist would come out of the theosophical societies. I don't know why he thought that. I didn't explain it that I know of, but he just voiced that opinion that the Antichrist would be a product of the theosophical societies. Um, actually, Alice Ann Bailey and uh, others in the Theosophical Societies believed there would be a world teacher. They were forecasting a world teacher <clears throat> who would come into the world and um, basically teach the world its own, the mankind its own divinity. And that world teacher, we're told, is going to be uh, coming into the world and uh, basically uh, preach the divinity of mankind. Uh, the fulfillment of all the Gnostic her errors and heresies of history would all come basically out of his mouth. Um, Alice Ann Bailey was asked once uh, when she thought that the world teacher would come. And uh, she said at the rate things were going, this is back in the 1920s, I believe, 1920s or 30s that she said this, that she expected the the uh, world teacher would come about the year 2025. So as you're reading that, I thought it was kind of interesting how close that comes to the uh, to the forecast of Alice Ann Bailey that the uh, the world teacher, the great Gnostic teacher that all mankind as is, is God, uh, would come roughly in the same decade, probably in the same half of the same decade. It also took me back to the, what you might call a prophecy of St. Pius X himself of his first encyclical, A Supremi, in 1903, actually October 4th, 1903, when he said in the beginning of the encyclical, his very first, as they say, that he was terrified to become the Pope at the time because he feared that the Antichrist might be already in the world or soon to come. And that was in 1903 that he wrote that. <clears throat> so, um, you know, there's a certain convergence here, which is, I find, very interesting. And the reason I mention all of that is because, uh, you know, no one can say that the gentleman is wrong in his analysis. He could very well be, be right. Uh, there are certain signs and indications, as St. Pius X himself said, that the Antichrist would not be far off. St. Pius X was referring to the sign of a great apostasy, really. He even explicitly referred to second... Thessalonians chapter 2, in his encyclical, as a reason for his believing that the apostasy, the great apostasy was upon us, <clears throat> even in his day, at least the beginnings of it. So, um, and he might have seen modernism as a major element of that apostasy also, when he refers to modernism as the complexus of all heresies, the gathering together of all heresies. I mean, what is apostasy? but not the denial only of one truth of the faith or another, but the denial of all the truths of the faith, even a, refi a redefinition of the word faith, which is exactly what he says modernism does. It redefines the very word faith itself. <clears throat> so um, now we see Vatican II, we see the aftermath of Vatican II. 
So it all seems to be coming together, doesn't it? So I wouldn't be surprised, but this uh, gentleman is onto onto something, mm -hmm. and just adding adding another element <clears throat> to the overall picture, and drawing that in in correlation to all the other things that he may well be be on the right track. And you think this um, this world teacher that that Alice Ann Bailey spoke of that that is actually the the Antichrist, or is that some kind of? I thing? do because I believe that's exactly what he. The Antichrist will teach. Okay. <clears throat> He'll be the uh, the ultimate Gnostic, right? Um, I mean, Gnosticism, as we've talked about before, uh, there's a belief system that, that there's a, there's a certain hidden knowledge, an occult knowledge that um, is the key to salvation. You know, and uh, the salvation being that man. Uh, achieves his own divinity. Um, we see in Mormonism an echo of that. We see in the uh, all the Gnostic societies and all of the uh, the Kabbalistic societies, Jewish Kabbalism, and and so we see we see all of this this mentality of the man being God, right, and rediscovering his divinity. And uh, if you if you look at the Gnostic societies, even in the world today, this is their message: that salvation for us is <clears throat> coming to the realization that we are God. Uh, the Gnostic societies even talk about uh, three classes of human beings: there are the gross materialists, then there are the moralists, really, who believe <clears throat> we need to follow a moral law. But then they are the spirituals. The spiritualists are one who don't believe in religion and don't believe in morality because they are beyond that. And they are the ones who now are discovering their own divinity. And the next step for them would be actually to basically ascend into their own divinity. That's their salvation. But one has to go through those three stages <clears throat> to come to the point where you're beyond religion, where you're beyond, you're not religious, you're spiritual. You're beyond morality and moral constraints because those actually come from the evil God, in the sense. You're freeing yourself from those things. And so you are discovering that you, in fact, are God and have been God all along, just imprisoned in a material world, that you're escaping and ascending now to your rightful place and that uh, as more and more human beings realize their divinity, they're they're passing from this world and coalescing. Now they're coalescing into God, and God is in a sense being reassembled, so to speak, from all of these sparks of the divinity. Uh, modernism. You can see how modernism would actually lend itself to that understanding too. Saint Pius the Tenth himself pointed out in Bashendi that when the modernist says that we know the the divine, the divine through our we experience the divine. We experience the divine within us. That's the modernist teaching. We actually experience the divine within ourselves. And he says the modernists don't always make a distinction as to whether that divine is something distinct from ourselves or is just ourselves. But they all say we're experiencing the divine within ourselves. And uh, that again would, would just couple perfectly with Gnosticism. Wow. So uh, the divine, uh, 
the, the, the world teacher is supposed to come and finally ascend the world stage with that one message, really, uh, that mankind is God and uh, now is rediscovering its divinity. Um, and that is going to liberate mankind from its servitude and bondage but to a false god, whom we know is actually the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, who is the true God. But this is Satan's work. This is his message. This is uh, his answer to the original temptation that works so well to Eve. Eat of the fruit, defy God, and you will be as God yourself. Uh, when, when Eve said, God, God said that if we eat of this fruit of the knowledge, the knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil, we will die. And Satan, Luther, Lucifer's answer was, no, no, no. God knows that if you eat of this fruit, you will be like as God. If you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be as God, knowing good and evil. You will be as God. And that is why God wanted you not to eat of that fruit, because he wants to keep you in servitude. He wants to keep you in bondage. He doesn't want you your eyes to be open and you to realize that you too are God. Well, Satan's still playing the same message, isn't he? He's still playing the same message. He's, I guess he finds that it works very well <laughs> for creatures like us. We uh, kind of like that message and we bite. And um, then the eyes are opened. And we, saw, we find out uh, to our, much to our regret not necessarily to our repentance, but to our regret that we make very poor gods. That we are not God. We are creatures and often, well, we are fallen creatures and sinful creatures and we need a loving God to redeem us. Yeah. Okay, so, then uh, let's jump. And, and by, unfortunately, we have a loving God yeah. who redeemed us. Yes, goodness. Now, in that clip, Father Jenkins talks about, um, or I guess it was Tom that was asking Father Jenkins about third secret of Fatima is found at the traditionandaction.org website and uh, what I have on the screen is a clip from that site and they apparently were sent a fax uh, or facsimile of the handwritten text that might be the third secret of Fatima. Uh, it's unsure of whether it's dated September 1st 1944 or April 1st 1944. Uh, obviously April 1st would be April Fool's Day so brings to question, obviously, the authenticity of this. Supposedly, that's a thumbprint of Sister Lucy at the bottom of the page. Um, so, I mean, who knows? But just for the sake of uh, interest, curiosity, um, they did translate it into English. And here, uh, I will read what it says in English. Now I'm going to reveal the third fragment of the secret. This part is the apostasy in the church. Our Lady showed us the individual who I described as the quote-unquote Holy Father in front of a multitude that was cheering him. But there was a difference from a true Holy Father. His devilish gaze. This one had the gaze of evil. Then, after some moments, we saw the same Pope entering a church. But this church was the church of hell. 
There is no way to describe the ugliness of that place. It looked like a gray cement fortress with broken angles and windows similar to eyes. It had a break, had a beak in the roof of the building. Next, we raise our eyes to Our Lady who said to us, You saw the apostasy in the church. This letter can be opened by the Holy Father, but it must be announced after Pius XII and before 1960. In the kingdom of John Paul II, the cornerstone of Peter's grave must be removed and transferred to Fatima. Because the dogma of the faith is not conserved in Rome, its authority will be removed and delivered to Fatima. The cathedral of Rome must be destroyed and a new one built in Fatima. And if 69 weeks after this order is announced, Rome continues its abomination, the city will be destroyed. Our leader told us that this is written in uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 24 to 25, and Matthew, chapter 21, verses 42 to 44. So, so that is a, you know, a curious text. Um, I don't know. I don't necessarily think that is the text, but, I mean, it does describe the situation. Um, but really, anyone could have written that now, more or less. Um, so, it's hard to, it's hard to tell. I have a video on the Third Secret of Fatima, and this was uh, part part of it is dealing with Kays of Eva, which some of you might have watched some of those videos I've done on those on those books on those uh, articles, which are highly interesting. Um, this is the the video on my channel. It's uh, entitled "Is Benedict the Sixteenth the Pope of Fatima?" Uh, did Cardinal Ottaviani release the third secret in code in 1963? So, Father Jenkins does uh, appear in this clip, and then I read through that um, that third secret of Fatima testimony and what Cardinal Ottaviani had released. Um, so, I do suggest watching it in its entirety. Uh, it's going to help help you understand um, what the thinking is behind that and. Uh, some of the some of the doubts about Benedict XVI and whatnot, um, but just for the sake of brevity, I'm going to read uh, what is believed to have been the actual text of the Third Secret that Cardinal Ottaviani would have read, and that he released in code. Um, I'm gonna, I'll read that now, and it states: A great chastisement will fall on the entire human race. Not today, as yet. Not tomorrow but in the second half of the 20th century. No longer does order reign anywhere, and Satan will reign over the highest places directing the course of events. He, Satan, really will succeed in infiltrating to the top of the church. Also for the church, a time of her greatest trials will come. Cardinals will oppose cardinals, bishops will oppose bishops, and Satan will march amid their ranks, and in Rome there will be changes. What is rotten will fall, and what will fall will never rise again. The church will be darkened, and the world deranged by terror. A great war will break out within the second half of the 20th century. Fire and smoke will fall from heaven. The water of the, the, water of the oceans will become vapors, and the foam will rise up and flooding and sinking everything. Millions and millions of people will die by the hour and the survivors will envy the dead. 
death will reign everywhere for the errors committed by the foolish and by the partisans of Satan, who, then and only then, will reign over the world. At last, those who will survive all of these events will once more proclaim God and his glory and serve him like before when the world was not so corrupted. And that ends that particular text. Um, I personally am more inclined to believe that might be the third secret, um, mainly because John Paul II, he read the third secret, and he did make a comment uh, in November of 1980 at Fulda, Germany, uh, in a publication there. And he said, quote, It would be sufficient for all Christians to know this. When you read that the oceans will flood entire continents, that from one moment to the next, millions of people will suddenly perish. If you know this, it is not truly needed to ask for the publication of the secret. End quote. So, curious comment. Um, especially given what Cardinal Adebayani released in code. But I do recommend watching that whole video. Um, I'll put a link to that in the description box as well because it's going to clear more things up and I don't have enough time to do it in this video. So, But yeah, some curious things uh, to ponder. Uh, but regardless, I mean, we know we're in, we're in big trouble here. Um, you know, obviously we're on the verge of nuclear war from what everything, from what the leaders of the world are saying. And, um, you know, quite frankly, we, we do deserve it. So this is, this, these are the, the just rewards for uh, mankind's abandonment of God and his complete um, uh, turnover to Satan. You know, the mass murder of children, all the sodomites running wild. I mean, it's just, it's definitely worse than, than the times of Noah. Uh, and actually, Pius XII did make a comment about that uh, as well, about the times when he was living as worse than, than Noah. Uh, could you imagine what he would think of today? Because uh, those were supposed to be the good old days, right? Um, okay, so let's get to the third and final clip of Father Jenkins. And this was done uh, this year, just, uh, just shortly after the quote-unquote uh, consecration that Francis did uh, of Russia, which, I mean, the guy doesn't even have the Catholic faith. You know, he's a communist. He's a, a Gnostic, a, a pagan, um, Luciferian, whatever you want to call him. But he's certainly not a Catholic. Uh, but here, Father Jenkins will, will cover this. This was, um, the date was... March 22nd, 2022, and the title is Francis's Fatima, quote-unquote, Consecration, Invocation, or Provocation. Uh, and I'll put a link to that. This was on the Rumble channel because they're no longer uploading new What Catholics Believes um, episodes on YouTube because of um, censorship, and they don't want to get the channel banned because they do broadcast the Latin Mass uh, live every day there. So certainly subscribe to the YouTube channel for that. Um, but let's go to this video clip. Yes, it came out uh, today, I guess, the uh, the text of Francis's uh, consecration uh, of Russia to the Immaculate Heart. Um, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of analysis uh, on it already. I know you read 
through some of it, Father. I'd like to uh, to get your, your feedback on that. Apparently, nowhere in the text does he actually mention Our Lady of Fatima. Um, there seemed to be some of his uh, pet leftist <laughs> liberal causes mm-hmm. in there. Um, he doesn't, he, uh, I guess, does explicitly mention Russia, but it's in unison with Ukraine and all of humanity or mm-hmm. something to that effect. But Father, what uh, what was your take on, on reading through some of this text of the Consecration? Mm-hmm. Well, I have the text here that was published Actually, it came out of the Vatican, right? The Catholic News Agency uh, has made it available. Um, that under the uh, CNA staff, Catholic News Agency staff, uh, have an article, Vatican releases text for March 25th, consecration prayer for Ukraine, Russia. And uh, this is datelined Washington, D.C. Newsroom, March 22nd. 2022, 10.41 a.m., very very precise here. And um, it starts out saying, the Vatican has sent bishops around the world the text of the prayer that Pope Francis will lead on March 25th, that's coming this coming Friday, for the consecration of Ukraine and Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Here is the full text of the prayer obtained by the Catholic News Agency. Uh, It seems long but it, it actually isn't yeah. especially in light of the prayer that pope Pius the 12th prayed over vatican radio radio in october of 1942 yeah. and yet it seems to me that this in a sense well it's it seems to me that whoever wrote this whether it, whether it be francis himself or others um composing this for him uh probably read the prayer of Pius XII in 1942, which I, I have the text of it here, too, and I think it would be worth looking at that and kind of comparing the two. So uh, you mentioned the last few minutes, but I think it's worth actually taking a little closer in that look here. Maybe maybe if I read through it and point out, okay, this is this, this refers to this, and this refers to that, and I'm not just making it up myself, it's because Francis himself has made such an issue of these things that it's not gratuitous that I say, oh, here he's referring to this and here he's referring to that. But when you first read this, it sounds very pious, exactly as you'd expect. You'd expect this to sound very pious. Because it is supposed to be for pious Catholic ears. These are the people who are interested in this. So it will be addressed uh, to them or through them for their hearing. So don't be surprised if it sounds uncharacteristically pious, okay? But he says, O Mary, Mother of God and our Mother, in this time of trial we turn to you. As our Mother, you love us and know us. No concern of our hearts is hidden from you. Mother of mercy, how often we have experienced your watchful care and your peaceful presence. You never cease to guide us to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Now, this is in English. I don't know what language you will use. I imagine Italian, I, I presume, but I don't know that. <clears throat> but this is translation. Yet we have strayed from that path of peace. We have forgotten the lesson learned from the tragedies of the last century, the sacrifice of the millions who fell into two, in two world wars. We have disregarded the commitments we have made as a community of nations. I don't know what commitments he's referring to, okay? What commitments the community of nations have made to the Blessed Mother. Uh, So I'm a little puzzled by that statement. 
He continues, we have betrayed people's dreams of peace and the hopes of the young. <clears throat> we grew sick with greed. We thought only of our own nations and their interests. Now, of course, greed is a major focus of Francis, especially in denouncing capitalism. Right. And he has denounced nationalism too. This idea of the national boundaries and the nation and looking for the good of the nation, the whole idea of like make America great again or America first. The whole idea of having allegiance to one's own nation first is anathema to him. He's made that very clear. <clears throat> so, you know, it's not surprising that he says this. Addressing uh, Mary, we, we, he says, we thought only of our own nations and their interests. We grew indifferent and caught up in our selfish needs and concerns. We choose to ignore God, to be satisfied with our illusions, to grow arrogant and aggressive, to suppress innocent lives, and to stockpile weapons. And of course, he's made it very clear that uh, disarmament is a big program of his as well, as you know. We stop being our neighbor's keepers and stewards of our common home. Laudato si, you know. The idea that we are here meant to be the stewards of the earth. Um, but in an environmentalist, ecological sense, okay? We have ravaged the garden of the earth with war. And by our sins, we have broken the heart of our Heavenly Father, who desires us to be brothers and sisters. We grew indifferent to everyone and everything except ourselves, now with shame, we cry out, forgive us, O Lord. And this is supposed to be part of a penitential service. So here he's introducing this idea of seeking forgiveness. But what we're seeking forgiveness for <clears throat> is actually what we've done here on earth. Um, what we've done to each other, uh, what we've done to the world. Um, that's the focus. I mean, this is our great sin. Uh, if you read Our Lady's words at Fatima, especially the apparition in July of 1917, you see where the focus was there. Our Lady's focus was on sin, blasphemy, sacrilege, attacks on God, attack on her Immaculate Heart. That's not where this focus is here. The focus is here is how we're treating each other and how we're treating the earth. Um, Holy Mother, he says, amid the misery of our sinfulness, Amid our struggles and weaknesses, amid the mystery of iniquity that is evil and war, you remind us that God never abandons us, but continues to look upon us with love, ever ready to forgive us and raise us up to new life. Okay? Does he mean here the everlasting life which our Lord promised, uh, which he, you know, opened the gates of heaven to on, on, on the cross? Or does he simply refer to... Uh, raising us up to new life in this world it's because that's the only life he really talks about again this is this is the issue here this is where his focus is he has given you to us and made your immaculate heart a refuge for the church and for all humanity but god's gracious will by god's gracious will you are ever with us even in the most troubled times the most troubled moments of our history you are there to guide us with tender love we now turn to you and knock at the door of your heart. We are your beloved children. 
In every age you make yourself known to us, calling us to conversion. At this dark hour, help us and grant us your comfort. Say to us once more, Am I not here, I who am your mother? You are able to untie the knots of our hearts and of our times. This is another favorite theme of Francis, uh, Mary, untire of knots. It's a devotion that's singled out for him. So first to that here, you are able to untie the knots of our hearts and of our times. In you we place our trust. We are confident that especially in moments of trial, you will not be deaf to our supplication and will come to our aid. <clears throat> now you notice as I'm reading this, and we're about two-thirds of the way through here, you notice there is much that any Catholic would say, and any Catholic would agree with, <clears throat> and it, again, you know, it's much of it is traditional Catholic piety with regard to Our Lady. The problem is um, as much what is not said as what is said. Yeah. Because the sins that he's referring to here are sins against the earth and against each other. And so we've been bad children, you know, messing up the house and being mean to each other. Um, but, he, she, but he continues here. This is kind of curious, too. He says, that is what you did at Cana in Galilee. When you interceded with Jesus, and he worked the first of his signs to preserve the joy of the wedding feast, you said to him, they have no wine. To preserve the joy of the wedding feast. Now, you think about that, Tom, you realize <clears throat> it's not a question here of our Lord working his first miracle and beginning the road to Calvary to die for us by manifesting as the word, the, the epiphany, Right, this is the third of the great epiphanies, you know, after the baptism of our Lord and the coming of the three kings to the manger. This is the third epiphany manifesting his glory, as the gospel says, and his disciples believed in him. The reason why the Blessed Mother asked Jesus to work this miracle was to preserve the joy of the wedding feast. Now, that's a purely worldly motive. And everything in here we're talking about is a purely worldly motive. Uh, and I, I think this his idea is a reference even to what Our Lady did of Cana, at Cana, what she asked, she wanted her son to make some wine for the people because it would sure put a damper on the, on the wedding piece. They ran out of wine. That would be a bummer, right? People probably go home and mutter about that for what, weeks that they ran out of wine. It's all very naturalistic. So you said to him, they have no wine. Now, O oh Mother, repeat those words and that prayer. For in our own day, we have run out of the wine of hope. Joy has fled. So bring joy back to us. You know, uh, Fraternity has faded. That's the expression that is used. Fraternity has faded. <clears throat> we hear Francis use that word fraternity. Does it have a Catholic sense to it? It certainly does. But again, we've seen Francis use it multi multiple times. And it's pretty clear the fraternity that he's talking about is the fraternity that the Freemasons refer to, uh, the fraternity of the French Revolution. Um, it's not a supernatural bond of charity, but rather a, a worldly fraternity. Uh, we have forgotten our humanity and squandered the gift of peace. We opened our hearts to violence and destructiveness. How greatly we need your maternal help. Therefore, O Mother, hear our prayer. 
Star of the sea, do not let us be shipwrecked in the tempest of war. A lot of imagery here that is rather very traditional, <clears throat> traditional writings, but it seems kind of cobbled together. Um, so, um, he says, Ark of the New Covenant inspire projects and paths of reconciliation. Um, actually, I think I might have jumped ahead a little bit because I think something... No, that was it, huh? That's the next? Okay. Yeah. You're following along. Good. <laughs> Queen of Heaven, I mean, inspire projects and paths of reconciliation. Again, you know, we're talking about... There are a lot of projects going on these days that claim to be for the good of mankind, but we know that they have an ulterior motive. Queen of Heaven, restore God's peace to the world. Eliminate hatred and the thirst for revenge, and teach us forgiveness. Free us from war. Protect our world from the menace of nuclear weapons. Okay, so, again, I mean, we'd all like the Blessed Mother to protect our world from the menace of nuclear weapons, but unfortunately, there's a political agenda behind much of what is said, and we, we see that in what Francis says. Queen of the Rosary, make us realize our need to pray and to love. Queen of the human family, Show people the path of fraternity. Queen of peace, obtain peace for our world. O Mother, may your sorrowful pleas stir our hardened hearts. May the tears you shed for us make this valley parched by our hatred blossom anew amid the thunder of weapons. May your prayer turn our thoughts to peace. May your maternal touch soothe those who suffer and flee from the rain of bombs. <clears throat> Again, it talks about the thunder of weapons and the rain of bombs. So it's kind of a little conceit there in the sense, in the, in the poetic sense of the word, right? May your motherly embrace comfort those forced to leave their homes and their native lands. Favorite theme of Francis, immigration, immigration, immigration. Open your, open your borders, open your gates, open your homes receive the immigrants. I mean, he's, he's hitting on all these points as he goes along here. May your sorrowful heart move us to compassion and inspire us to open our doors and to care for our brothers and sisters who are injured and cast aside. And he continues here, there's something where he talks about more on Europe, and this is where he turns his attention to Russia and Ukraine. Holy Mother of God, as you stood beneath the cross, Jesus, seeing the disciple at your side, said, Behold your Son. In this way, he entrusted each of us to you, to the disciple and to each of us. He said, Behold your Mother. Mother Mary, we now desire to welcome you into our lives and our history. At this hour, a weary and distraught humanity stands with you beneath the cross needing to entrust itself to you and, through you, to consecrate itself to Christ. The people of Ukraine and Russia, who venerate you with great love, now turn to you, even as your heart beats with compassion for them and for all those peoples decimated by war, hunger, injustice, and poverty. Therefore, Mother of God and our Mother, to your Immaculate Heart we solemnly entrust and consecrate ourselves the Church, and all humanity, especially Russia and Ukraine. Accept this act that we carry out with confidence and love. Grant that war may end, and peace spread throughout the world. The fiat that arose from your heart 
open the doors of history to the Prince of Peace. We trust that through your heart, peace will dawn once more. To you, we consecrate the future of the whole human family, the needs and expectations of every people, the anxieties and hopes of the world. Through your intercession, may God's mercy be poured out on the earth and the gentle rhythm of peace return to mark our days. Our Lady of the Fiat, on whom the Holy Spirit descended, restore among us the harmony that comes from God. May you, our living fountain of hope, water the dryness of our hearts. In your womb, Jesus took flesh, help us to foster the growth of communion. You once trod the streets of our world. Lead us now on the paths of peace. Amen. So that last part would be basically, I guess, considered the actual consecration. Where he actually uh, dedicates or consecrates Russia, Ukraine, uh, humanity, the church uh, to, to Christ, says. Um, to, to Mary and to Christ. That's what the actual text says. And I think it's, it's interesting to look at this in light of the 1942 consecration of Pope Pius XII. And I know we don't have an awful lot of time left here, but I think it's, okay. it's worth looking yeah. at. You know, um, you, you ask, well, you know, what, what, is, what is different about this? You notice there's no mention in these, in these prayers of Fatima, Our Lady's appearance of Fatima, um, there is no mention of the immorality which Our Lady denounced at Fatima and after, uh, even to Jacinta when she, uh, Jacinta was hospitalized, about the, the immorality of immodesty, impurity, more sins go to hell because of sins of impurity than for any other reason. And there's, there's none of that here. It's simply a matter of, can't we all get along? Please make us all get along here. This is the what we need for peace here. And um, the idea that we must be at peace with each other, um, it's a nice idea. I mean, it's a good idea. We'd like that. But it can be understood in the Freemasonic way, a very naturalistic way. But the idea that the peace we have with each other must follow necessarily from the peace of the human conscience with God in heaven, that we must be faithful to God, and only then can we be at peace, that all war came into the world because of sin, not the other way around. But he's got it backwards. You know, the idea that, gee, we're at war, please make us be faithful by not being at war. But rather than say, oh Lord, please reconcile us as individual persons to thy, the uh, Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, make us faithful to you. And we know that if we are faithful, to Almighty God, and we are uh, holding as our model the Immaculate Heart of Mary, then necessarily the world will be at peace. But that is the condition of there being peace in the world. That's not the message that comes across in this prayer. I think it is the message that comes across in the prayer of Pope Pius XII, though. Here's what Pope Pius XII said in October of 1942. <clears throat> this is the official version of Pope Pius XII's prayer of consecrating the world and obliquely Russia to the Immaculate Heart. It was broadcast throughout the world, as I say, and um, with, united with the bishops of Portugal. 
on the 25th anniversary of Our Lady's appearance. Queen of the Most Holy Rosary, refuge of the human race, victorious in all God's battles, we humbly prostrate ourselves before thy throne, confident that we shall receive mercy, grace, and bountiful assistance and protection in the present calamity, not through our own inadequate merits, but solely through the great goodness of thy maternal heart. To thee, to thy immaculate heart, in this humanity's tragic hour, we consign and consecrate ourselves in union, not only with the mystical body of thy Son, Holy Mother Church, now in such suffering and agony in so many places, and sorely tried in so many ways, but also with the entire world, torn by fierce strife, consumed in a fire of hate, victim of its own wickedness. May the sight of the widespread material and moral destruction of the sorrows and anguish of countless fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, and innocent children, of the great number of lives cut off in the flower of youth, of the bodies mangled in horrible slaughter, and of the tortured and agonized souls in danger of being lost eternally, move thee to compassion. <clears throat> See, right away you, you discover something that has no place in Francis's consecration, that is, <clears throat> well, he says, you know, we're uniting ourselves with the church throughout the world, not just with all mankind. But he also talks about eternal damnation. He says, we're conscious of all this destruction, but he says, not just of the destruction of the body, but the tortured and agonized souls in danger of being lost eternally. I don't recall any mention of that. Mother of mercy, obtain peace for us from God, and above all, procure for us those graces which prepare, establish, and assure the peace. Now here Francis is getting into the Catholic teaching. I'm sorry, I beg your pardon. Here Pope Pius XII, rather, <clears throat> is getting into the Catholic teaching. That this is an actual matter of grace, and for there to be peace, there has to be grace, and we have to cooperate with the grace of God. And what does that grace address? The grace that addresses our sins. It is our sinfulness that causes war, not our war that causes our sinfulness. You know. Queen of Peace, pray for us and give to the world now at war the peace for which all peoples are longing, peace in the truth, justice, and charity of Christ. Truth, justice, and charity of Christ. This is what we must all be united in. There will we find peace. That's not what Francis is saying here. We have to come to our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to find him there. And we have to find unity in his truth and his justice and his charity. He is the king of peace. Give peace to the warring nations and to the souls of men, that in the tranquility of order, the kingdom of God may prevail. Again, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt it again, but notice the entire thrust of this consecration done by Pius XII has to do with establishing the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ on earth. And um, Francis does not convey that understanding at all, that first we have to be uh, loyal, faithful to Christ, that is a matter of faith, hope, and charity directed toward God, um, our Creator, and through Jesus Christ, our Father, uh, that alone peace can come. 
um, extend thy protection to the infidels and to all those still in the shadow of death. Give them peace and grant that on them too may shine the sun of truth, that they may unite with us in proclaiming before the one and only Savior of the world, glory to God in the highest and peace to men of goodwill. What is he saying here? He's calling for the conversions of those who don't have the faith in Christ. Again, Francis is not talking about that. Pius XII is very clear. Please convert those who are sitting in the shadow of death, bring them to the Son of Truth, who is Jesus Christ, your Son, that they may sing with us a praise, hymn of praise to our Savior. Give peace to the world. Yeah, I'm sorry, uh, St. Pius, Pius XII says, give peace to the people separated by error or by discord, and especially to those who profess such singular devotion to thee, and in whose homes an honored place was ever accorded thy venerated icon, today perhaps often kept hidden to await better days, and bring them back to the one fold of Christ under the one true shepherd. What is he praying for? He's praying for the conversion of schismatics. He's talking about those who are separated <clears throat> by error. He's talking about error of faith, discord, by schism. And especially to those, he's singling out for those separated from by schism who have a devotion to our Blessed Lady expressed in, an, in the icon. Very clearly, he's referring to the peoples of Russia. And an icon that is often hidden away now because of Stalinist Russia, in which they live, and they have to hide their, their faith um, <clears throat> from the communists, awaiting better days, he says. So he says, bring them back to the one fold of Christ under the one true shepherd. You see, he's praying for the conversion. Francis doesn't do that. And Pope Pius XII continues, obtain peace and complete freedom for the Holy Church of God. Stay the spreading flood of modern paganism and kindle in the faithful the love of purity, the practice of the Christian life, and an apostolic zeal, so that the servants of God may increase in merit and in number. Lastly, as the Church and the entire human race were consecrated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, so that in reposing all hope in Him, He might become for them the sign and pledge of victory and salvation, so we, in like manner, consecrate ourselves forever also to Thee, and to Thy Immaculate Heart, our Mother and Queen, that Thy love and patronage may hasten the triumph of the Kingdom of God, and that all nations, at peace with one another and with God, may proclaim Thee blessed, and with Thee may raise their voices to resound from pole to pole in the chant of the everlasting Magnificat of glory, love, and gratitude, to the heart of Jesus, where alone they can find truth and peace. Now, this is the prayer of consecration of Pius XII. <clears throat> and even though one may, you know, read some of the, the, the Francis's words here and say, well, there are certain pious expressions he uses, and doubtless it's true, there are things that he doesn't say. I don't see, I don't recall that he ever mentions the actual name of Jesus, calls him Christ, and uh, so on, but I don't know that he does. But why is the twelfth certainly does? And he talks about the kingdom of God that has to be accepted and respected by all mankind. That that is where we find, that, that and there alone can we find peace. 
among ourselves when we are united in one true faith and in subservience and service to Almighty God himself, as revealed to us by his own divine Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Specifically mentions here the Sacred Heart of Jesus, that re reposing all hope in him, basically that's what he, he wants, he wants the Immaculate Heart of Mary to basically take us there, to take us to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and there and there alone are we going to find any hope of peace, the uh, peace of God, the peace that only God can give, right? So, in other words, Tom, I, I, the prayer that Francis has proposed to say here on Friday is very, very different from the prayer that Pope Pius XII made in 1942. And I would say the difference is one is supernatural and the other is very naturalistic. One is about the conversion of sinners, the, uh, well, basically what Our Lady said at Panama, right? To, uh, that we be faithful to God, that not only do we stop sinning, we make reparation for the sins of mankind. And ultimately, what we're looking for is not just life in this world of social justice, we're looking for everlasting life in heaven. Pius XII explicitly speaks of, these, speaks of these things. Francis pointedly does not. That's why I would have to say that one of these prayers is, is Catholic, and one of them really is not, insofar as uh, not only what it says, but what it does not say. Mm -hmm. I think it fails, fails what Ali wanted at Fatima, Clearly. Now, there, is, there are those for whom Francis is clearly no pope. They come to the conclusion they're convinced he cannot possibly be the vicar of Christ on earth. Understand very well. And uh, for them, this is not an issue. They, they place no, <clears throat> no stock in this at all. They say this is really not the case of a real Catholic Supreme Pontiff, vicar of Christ on earth, making this consecration of Russia, as Our Lady asked. Others are not so convinced of that. Others may be convinced that he is, in fact, still a, a Catholic. He's a, he's a pope of the new order, but they are also con they're convinced of that. We all know that. There are those who are still very convinced that he is also the pope of the tradition of the Catholic Church. And they still have a lot of hope, hope in this, and they're looking at this with great hopefulness because they figure that the fate of the world depends on this. And everything they have to hope for, for life in this world, for themselves and for their children, their grandchildren, Obviously, this is weighing very heavily on them. Um, <clears throat> two possibilities that this is, takes place on, on this coming Friday. And there's, um, you know, the situation intensifies, the war intensifies between Ru Russia and, and Ukraine. And so they lose hope because, look, this was done and it didn't uh, restore peace and order in the world. And so, you know, if this didn't do it, nothing, nothing will. We're lost. On the other hand, if it, if it does accomplish something and there's a truce that is settled upon, I think they've already figured out what they're going to do about this. Uh, and by the way, uh, uh, President Biden is altering his travel plans for this, for this consecration on Friday. Um, 
I think they've already figured out how they're going to handle this. They could, they could arrange a truce at any moment, right? It was as long as it serves their purpose. And, um, or perhaps they will arrange a truce and everyone will think, well, well, not everyone, but those who pin their hopes on this will say, well, look, you see, this is exactly right. And so this is the fulfillment. And so all is well with the new order. And it must be good, must be right. And so whatever misgivings they have about the, 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 the new order um, now uh, are going to be removed and they will become good and wholehearted Novus Ordo modernists, uh, followers of Francis. I don't know which it's going to be. Um, but either way, the result is not going to be good. Insofar as it uh, dashes the hopes of people what popes they still have, or insofar as it quote-unquote fulfills them, that makes them think the Novus Ordo is the fulfillment of their hopes. Um, I see this uh, not working out very, uh, very well. Um, we, we, you and I, uh, have an obligation here. We should, uh, on this feast of the Annunciation of Our Lady, we should consecrate ourselves, renew our own consecration to our Immac the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Each and every one of us here should renew our own personal consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. All traditional Catholics throughout the world should renew that. And some might even say, uh, look, I, I'm, I'm worried that if Francis stands up before the world and makes this consecration, that uh, our Lord will punish the world because this is being made by a man who has repeatedly blasphemed him. I mean, you think about the Amoris Laetitia that, that uh, Francis issued, that apostolic exhortation, in which he said that adultery, well, that doesn't necessarily mean you're in the state of mortal sin, and you can still receive, receive communion worthily uh, if you're living in open adultery. Remember the words of last Sunday's Gospel where St. Paul says, No adulterer, unclean fornicator has any inheritance in the, in the kingdom of Christ or of God. Let no one deceive you with vain words. These are the words of last Sunday's Gospel, the third Sunday after uh, of Lent. And uh, Francis has directly contradicted those words. And the Pachamama, worship, being worshipped right in St. Peter's Basilica itself. Pachamama, under the form of, of, of snake idols, snake idols, being worshipped, this evil uh, earth goddess, uh, murderous earth goddess claimed the lives of thousands of children sacrificed to it. I won't say her. And then Francis comes out and says, this is a symbol of Mary, the Blessed Mother. And this is blasphemy. Saying at Abu Dhabi that uh, God wills the, God wills the multiplicity of religions. The multiplicity of religions, he's there with an imam from uh, Islam. <clears throat> which says that those who claim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God deserve to have their heads cut off for their blasphemy. I mean, it is blasphemous for him to say these things. And yet he's going to stand up and he's make this, going to make this consecration. In other words, he's a man who has basically is guilty, well, at least we can't judge his soul, but outwardly he has done things 
that are diametrically opposed to what Our Lady has condemned it, uh, has, has talked about at Fatima. And she at Fatima said, these things need to stop. You must not do these things. He's done them all. And he continues to do them. And so there are those who say, this is going to be a provocation of God when he does this. And uh, that we are at risk of provoking divine wrath, that he would dare, dare presume to do this without first repenting of the scandal that he's given and the example that he's, that he's uh, provided. Uh, maybe they're right. Maybe this is actually going to be the ultimate provocation. <laughs> All the more reason why I say we need to, on that day, renew our consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And uh, if we see this as like not just a con the consecration, but the anti-consecration, out of the anti-consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart, we need to be uh, making that personal consecration to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart on March 25th and ideally every day of our lives. Right? So I'm sorry, I've gone on uh, a bit longer than even usual, but uh, thanks for your patience. No problem, Father. Thank you. I appreciate it. This is uh, definitely the question of the day that's on a lot of people's minds. A lot of people are asking about it. A lot of people are, wor are worried about it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's great to cover it. So I appreciate all of your analysis there, Father. Oh, certainly, Tom. Yep. Well, if we started with this, we probably wouldn't have gotten to anything else. So maybe it's best we didn't. Yes. Well, Father, thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate it. Certainly, Tom. God bless you. God bless you all. Yep. And here we are, uh, seven months after that provocation of Francis, and things are getting much, much worse as Father Jenkins was alluding to. Uh, so please remember to pray the rosary every day. Uh, get to confession. Uh, if you're not a Catholic, get get baptized um, in the traditional Catholic Church. Make a general confession. Um, I do put links to traditional Catholic chapels that I support in the description box of each of the videos. That would be a good place to start. Um, I'm recording this on, on October 12th, 2022 in the evening. Um, who knows what we'll wake up to on uh, this this anniversary of the Miracle of the Sun on October 13th. Uh, I'm just saying I'm not a prophet, I don't know, but it would be curious to see um, what may happen tomorrow. But God has not promised us tomorrow, so let us pray uh, that we may die with perfect contrition for our sins and whether receiving the sacraments of the church. Uh, please remember to hit the like and subscribe buttons and please keep in your prayers. Thank you. Mm -hmm.